0: Which way to you, Lord, which way to you? Which way to you, Lord, which way to you? Today we honor all grandparents as Pope Francis declares the day world Grandparents' Day, so all grandparents were invited to stop by the concourse just outside the main entry here, where Father White and I will be praying over each grandparent with the prayer that the Pope himself composed. So welcome to all who are here on our Ridgely Road campus and to our entire family around the world. We are a family of faith with belief in Jesus Christ. As an expression of our appreciation for those who have been away a while and are just coming back or those who are new, we have a gift for you at the Welcome Center on the concourse or you can uh, just text the word WELCOME to our new phone number 888 77 Well friends, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins and in last week's message on anger, we saw that we are all somewhere on a continuum from very angry, to lightly angry, always angry to sometimes angry, and we all fall somewhere on that. The good news wasn't that we are angry, but that we have a way and tools to control it. We can control anger by reframing our thinking, thinking differently, which will then have an impact on our emotions, or we can lessen it by cultivating patience. This week is kind of a double-header, we'll be looking briefly at both greed, and envy. By definition, greed is the intense and selfish desire for something especially wealth or power or food, but there's a bright side to acquiring money. After all, money attaches value to the work we do. Money gives me a sense of accomplishment. Money moves me forward in providing for the future for my family and loved ones. In today's message, we'll see that Whether we're on the dark side or the light side of money, it's a question of moderation, and we're going to look at where we are on the balance and compare that to where we'd like to be and have a way to change that. You can say that Jesus has a creed for greed, and it has to do with where we place our accumulating money among our priorities. Let's take a look at what Jesus says about this. No servant can be the slave of two masters, for either he will hate the first and love the second, or he will be devoted to the first and think nothing of the second. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus didn't see money necessarily as an evil in itself. I mean, even the apostles had a financial officer who kept the books. We know him as Judas Iscariot. While Jesus called some of his followers to give away their riches and serve God alone, he also was in the company of men and women of means who supported his ministry financially and in many other ways. So in comparing Jesus's words and the custom of the early church, I like to think of it as more of a balance that Jesus is really addressing. For now, the rich could enter the kingdom of heaven together with the poor. Christians were learning as the, t- you know, the years went on that the only true riches are spiritual, and using their wealth to support others in need was an expression of that value. Our culture teaches that unrestrained pursuit of wealth will eventually make us happy. The more money we have, therefore the happier we'll be. But by living such a rule of life, It blinds us to the personal and social cost of our greed if it goes unchecked. Greed manifests itself in many ways. Cutthroat competition, the workaholic, the gambler, and at times even the spendthrift can be guilty of greed. So greed is the inordinate love of money and material possessions and the dedication of oneself to their pursuit. In line with a cry for moderation, Catholic moral teaching holds that when our motives for accumulating wealth are selfish, when they're self-indulgent, or our means acquiring money are unjust, we may well have swung the balance into greed. But let's not get downcast or become hopeless. Greed can be managed. Managing our greed can be accomplished by a call for both balance and charity. So for balance, I might approach the issue of moderation by asking myself, how do I make my money? How do I spend it? How do I save it? How do these three, making, spending, saving, affect my relationships at home and at work? Once again, greed is the inordinate love of money and material possessions and the dedication of oneself to their pursuit. But even acquiring a balance, believe it or not, isn't going to be enough. It's gonna take charity to turn even moderation into happiness and joy. The cure for the the vice of greed is the virtue of charity. Charitable people do not value money for itself or the things it can buy, but for the uses to which money can be put, particularly through investing and in giving it to others. Charitable people are indifferent to money in that they don't wish to retain it just to possess it. For charitable people live by a maxim that makes it real clear. Greed for money for them becomes a gift of money. Years ago, Tom Corcoran's financial talk addressed moderation and charity. He cited biblical tithing as an example, and how my tithe, modest though it may be, creates an overflow by God. See how this works. In Malachi, the writer says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So everybody get involved in tithing, that there may be food in my house. So however modest it may be, when we're all participating, the house fills up. And then the Lord God makes the statement, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Not enough room to store it. Talk about blessing? That comes from modest giving, everyone participating, filling the storehouse, and then God creates the overflow, the abundance. Tom gave us a little bit of a a way of doing this, and I remember the talk very well. He said, consider giving from your annual income 10% to charity, tithing, saving 10% for the future, and living on the 80. I honestly followed the formula, and uh, I was able to balance my need for having more money, and I was already experiencing the abundance that I didn't need that more money. I increased my happiness, honestly. The motto, In God We Trust, was originally engraved on our coins, not to deify money, as our society sometimes does, but to remind us that we should not place our trust in it, but in God. Greed unchecked begs this question that I leave you with. In whom, or in what? Do you place your trust? Now let's ask how greed and envy are connected. We can say that there are folks whose envy is a result of seeing others' greed. For example, you buy a fancy car, Italian made somewhere, you can't afford it, greed. I buy a fancier one in Germany, one that I can't afford, but my envy of you is because of your greed. And so my feeling of being less successful is assuaged. I was introduced to envy, this is a true story, at my high school reunion. 375 graduates from colleges and graduate schools were coming together for the first time in 25 years. Two things struck me, Eric once voted most likely to succeed, had fallen short of the expectation of becoming a scientist. Karen, voted most popular, was definitely not. Let's just say she peaked in high school. Uh, (laughs) Let me also add, in over 25 years she lost her luster. (laughs) Enough said. No last names here. In contrast, many lackluster ca- uh, classmates, myself included, were now executives and shop owners. Uh, and in the mostly Jewish high school, of all things, there was one Catholic priest, me. <laughs> the only response was, oy vey, as I recall. <laughs> so during cocktails, uh, you could just hear the put downs of classmates who had overachieved. And you could also hear the expressions of kind of a feigned sadness for those who had not done well. Oh, poor John. Oh, poor Bill. Oh, poor Mary. Envy just seemed to drip from the people's lips. Strange, only hours before the affair, there was a sense of contentment that now seemed to have vanished. That disappeared. What had changed was the way folks were comparing themselves to their other classmates. This comparing was now a source of ongoing pain, and it was affecting feelings about individuals and how people reacted for the rest of the evening. Why do we envy? When we compare ourselves unfavorably to others, our self-esteem is called into question, and envy is kind of like a protective response to this hurt. So let's just admit it. There are always going to be people in our life that we're going to envy for making more, saving more, spending more. Agreed? Thank you, yes. I I didn't hear an amen, but agreed is enough for me. Admitting it, and as we just did, can keep us from having our envy become malicious by our seeking to deprive the person I envy of what they have. And I do that through gossip and hateful talk. Proverbs has it right when the writer says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. When your heart is at peace, your body is revived. But envy rots the bones. Rots the bones. Ooh. The letter to Titus underlies how this envy then leads to division and discord. At one time, we two were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, greed, we lived in malice and envy as a result of that, being hated and hating one another. Yeah, enslaved by passions and pleasures is the greed, living in malice and envy is the result. There's an old classic, uh, an old, a classic Old Testament passage that speaks eloquently of this danger of envy, and how it begins, and how it festers, and then how it ultimately destroys a person. It's the story of Cain and his brother Abel, the children of uh, Adam and Eve. Genesis gives us the account, but let's cut to the chase. Eve becomes pregnant, gives birth to Cain. Later, she gives birth to Abel. Cain works the soil. Abel keeps the flocks. In the course of time, Cain only brings some of the fruits, a few of them, of the soil to the Lord, and not the first fruits as an offering. Abel also brings an offering, but in contrast, it's fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. The Lord does not look with favor on Cain, but does look with favor on Abel. Cain becomes very angry, and let's look in on what happens. Remember, festering anger takes you no place but to darkness. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, that's the condition, will you not be accepted? Doing right, you'll be accepted. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. It's right there. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So God is being very cautious with Cain and trying to tell him how to do this. But yet, if you do what is right, well, Cain has done what is right. He's made an offering to the Lord. But remember, it was just some of the fruits of the field. Abel's was fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. So Cain is held back on his offering, Abel was most generous. So Cain's envy of Abel now turns to evil. Let's get back to the story. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field, sounds innocent enough. While they're in the field, Cain attacks his brother and kills him. He kills his brother. Gosh. One of the very first accounts of human interaction is a story of envy and its negative effects. Cain only grudgingly gives his gifts, then Cain turns furious and envious, and he plots to slay Abel. This is the first homicide. It's the result of envy. We must note that God does make it clear that he warns Cain before he murders Abel. Namely, that it is within Cain's ability to control his envious passion and what might well result from it. Cain does not listen. The roots of envy, your envy and mine, begin early in life as we're compared to other kids. Our value is measured by how much dumber or smarter I am, how much weaker or stronger, better or worse at across. imagine, poorer or richer than we are from our peers. This comparing becomes so ingrained in us by our family and our society that we automatically react with painful protective envy when we believe others have surpassed us in attributes. It's not about not having envy, it's about owning and managing your envy, that is to become aware of our envy and how it's affecting our life. So let me give you three strategies that work for me. First is name and claim your envy. So yeah, I'm envious of that person's whatever he or she's got, and claim it. Just name it and claim it. Just being willing to say that's how I am uh, gets you started on the right foot. The second strategy is focus instead on On my own positive attributes, what you've got, what your treasure is, or, and I capitalize it just to make the alternative possible, or discount the importance of what I envy in that person. Great strategy. Third and final strategy, see the evil of my envy. Catch yourself like Cain could have done and didn't before your envy turns malicious. Just repent of it because now you know what it is. So I like to think of my envy of you sparks what I value. So I see something you've got and I say, wow, that's pretty good. Well, the positive thing is that it sparked a value that I hold as well. And it can serve as a motivation to pursue it for myself as well. Our faith and practicing our faith affords us a way of minimizing our feelings of envy, As God cautioned Cain, and he didn't listen. In the end, it's your perception of my good over which you then brood to the point that my good prevents you from enjoying your own. Let me repeat. It's a long sentence. In the end, it's your perception of my good over which you then brood to the point that my good is preventing you from enjoying your own. Taken to extremes, it's then acted out as gossip and hurtful feelings of the one envied. As powerful as envy is, and it is powerful, we are not helpless before it. Kindness is the virtue, kindness is the virtue, with which we can decrease the vice of envy. I'd like to offer you some examples of virtue, the virtues of kindness. Let's say, um, let's say you, wanna, you, uh, you have a new car, okay? The first thing you can do is, I don't have the new car, but you do. First thing I can do is, I think, I can de-emphasize the value of the envied object, your car. They have a fancier car, but their monthly payment leaves them strapped. That's not bad, that's something good for me. Another way is, think positively, and value things that you have. Our car serves us well, and it's all paid for. This is my father, by the way, so, (laughs) right there. We had a Ford Falcon, powder blue, and our car serves us well. You don't need a Buick in those days. (laughs) So think positively. Thanks, Dad. And now we've got my mother. Compare yourself to those who have less. Honey, at least we have a car. Yeah, but I'm ashamed of our car. I don't like our car. So now you've met my folks. Uh, We'll continue. You can pray over the irrationality of your envy. Like it's starting to boil up in you and you can just say, well, there's more to life than the car I own and we're friends and I just want to maintain the friendship. Consider the potential danger of your envy. I don't want my envy to get in the way of our friendship. I'm going to have to watch myself. So in trying to balance my envy with kindness, there is good news. And here it is in a nutshell. Envy helps you see what you value. Envy can be a motivation to work harder and achieve that for yourself. Reducing envy takes naming and claiming, as we just said, and you all named and claimed it. Well, you didn't name it, but you claimed it. (laughs) Balancing it with kindness Is the way to make it uh, happen so envy and kindness we know we know what it is up here you've just had the lesson you may even feel it here in your heart a bit but it's time now to practice it with kindness here on your lips or here in your hands and you're caring for one another let us pray Loving Father God, you create us out of love and give us all creation to enjoy. May we use power and responsibility, food and drink, and especially money wisely. Help us not to clutch and hoard, but to share and give, that all creation may take part in your bounty. As we go forth today from this holy place, May random acts of kindness make our interactions with others, particularly those we envy, holy encounters, holy places. We pray as we pray always. In Jesus' name, amen.